What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee. So naturally, this is the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 70. I can't believe it's been 70 episodes already. Thank you all for rocking with me for 70 episodes and giving me an hour of your week. We've got an amazing show lined up for y'all. I know each week, each month, I should say, you guys look forward to this. My cousin, Sadiq Abdul, is rejoining me on the show to break down all things in the world of sports and entertainment and to answer the simple question, if I'm crazy or not, with some of the sports takes I have for y'all this week. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Also, Manu Ginobili is hanging it up. He's calling it quits, which marks an end of an era for the NBA. But it also speaks to a failed and a false narrative that still permeates today when it comes to basketball. We're going to tie all that up and so much more this week. But first, our number one topic for the week. First quarter. Man, it's hotter than a mother outside, Joe. I can't wait for fall. I cannot wait for fall. But in spite of the fact that it's burning, scorching hot outside of my window in Largo, Maryland, man, we're even going to raise the temperature inside of the house today because the hot takes, they're coming. They have come back. Y'all hear Nelly? Y'all know it's time for me to take this hot take of the week out of the oven and present it to each and every one of you. And you know, with, like I said, fall is around the corner. I can't wait for fall. And most people, when they think of fall, autumn, they think of the NFL season. And we are two weeks away at this point now. Actually, one week away. What am I talking about? Next week, next Thursday is the start of the NFL season. It's incredible that it's snuck up on us this fast. But... My hot take, and usually I, I save these for NBA topics or, you know, pop culture cop topics. But nah, man, it's time for me to let this one go. Because I've felt this way for a while now. And it all kind of centers around counter-programming, if you will. I'm going to try to break this down into uh, an issue that we all can kind of sink our teeth into. Now, my entire background, even though I've been doing this pod for a year and a half now, is in television. And in television... There is this idea, right? There is this action called counter-programming. You may not know it by the name of it, but we absolutely all have witnessed it, seen it, and understand it. You know, in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday, and I, by the side note, I hate the Super Bowl. Like, not the game, but Super Bowl Sunday. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a day full of foreplay. Foreplay is great. Don't get me wrong. You need to go ahead and do your thing, right? Warm everything up, get everything set to move, do your thing, boom, boom. But if you got nine hours of foreplay, at some point you're like, hey, what we doing for real? You know what I'm saying? And Super Bowl Sunday is just an eight to nine hour foreplay session. Like, bro, I'm not 12 anymore. We got to get some action. You know what I'm saying? You wake up, boom, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Do what you got to do on Sunday, and it doesn't matter because the game doesn't start until, like, what, 6.30, 7.30 now? I don't even know what time the Super Bowl starts anymore. It's like 7. What? There's, I don't, there's not, a, there's, there's way too much time, but I'm getting off track. Let me refocus. 
The NFL season is about to start, and this take that I've got is about counter-programming. On Super Bowl Sundays, everybody's anxiously waiting for the start of the season, right, or the, of the game. Everybody's got football on the brink. But there are certain channels who will run, like, Lifetime. They'll run all these, like, you know, made-for-TV movies or the Oprah Network. They'll do a, a marathon or Love and Hip Hop. And those shows will rate well because they target an audience that has no interest in what the number one show is, right? The number one move or television show is the Super Bowl. So anybody who even has a slight interest in the Super Bowl will watch it, but there's still millions of people who have no interest in the Super Bowl. And you'll see it again this year. I can't imagine the number of documentaries and marathons that will be aired on television this upcoming Super Bowl Sunday as a counter-programming method. And they will have success because you target people, right? Or you target something that is not being addressed, that, that their, their desires are not being met. It happens in summer. Summer movie season, blockbusters, right? Superhero movies, buddy comedies, action blockbusters, the whole nine. And then usually around the end of August, there are these movies that come out that just slide under, you know, the radar. Not really a, a, a high-budget film, and it does wonders. What Crazy Rich Asians is an example of this year. You go all the way back. Uh, the Sixth Sense was that. It was exactly that. Came out in the summer. Was one of the biggest movies in the entire year, and it just was placed right between summer and fall, right? It counter-programs. Everybody is tired of the the action you know special effects blockbusters give me something good even if it's a comic th i think uh the hangover film the first one specifically was a uh some similar right low budget film everybody was tired of the superhero movies and the blockbusters and transformers whatever put the hangover out and it did monster obviously it was a monster film you address the needs of an audience that is not being met. And that's what I'm talking about when I say that the NFL needs to counter-program. The quarterback position, that bubble has long since popped. And it's time that someone has the vision. Someone has the gumption, right? Someone has the, the understanding that, yo, we continue to play so much this high... Um, whether it's an actual spending cost, right, how, of what it costs to, to, to pay a quarterback or the cost to draft one. When the fact of the matter is, I don't think you need an elite quarterback to win in the Super Bowl. And that's not a thought. That's facts. Look at recent history. Because everybody who's been caught up in, the, oh, my God, the quarterback play, you need a quarterback to win, and you can't win the NFL without a quarterback. This whole kind of started right in the the mid-2000s because when you bring up brad johnson and you bring up trent dilfer people automatically dismiss that right oh well that's a different era that generation is long since past you need a superstar now and in reality what you need is tom brady okay tom brady may very well go down as the i mean he's already the greatest quarterback of all time I think in my opinion, and I don't even know how controversial or how debated that topic is. But Tom Brady's now arguably the greatest football player who has ever lived. 
He absolutely is Michael Jordan of the NFL. Michael Jordan, not because he's head and shoulders better than everyone else from an historic perspective, but also he's Michael Jordan because not only is he arguably the greatest player of all time, he's playing alongside the greatest coach arguably of all time. When that happens, you win multiple championships. You have a prolonged dynasty, and that's exactly what the Patriots and exactly what the Bulls had. But don't make the mistake of trying to think that, you know, the next quarterback is going to be the Tom Brady, that you are going to find the next Tom Brady because there is no next Tom Brady, just like there hasn't been another Michael Jordan. Aaron Rodgers may very well be more talented than Tom Brady. I know I just said Tom Brady was the greatest quarterback and that he may be the greatest player of all time, but I'm just talking about talent. Aaron Rodgers, it is not out of out of the question to say that just as far as a talented player is concerned, just how you play the game, Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady. And even in, in, in spite of that, Aaron Rodgers has won one Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers has had the same number of Super Bowl championships as Joe Flacco who is ultimately one of the worst quarterbacks of the last five years. And when I say Joe Flacco, I'm not picking on him, but it's, 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 a, it's a, a point that I think more teams have missed. The Ravens were able to win in spite of Joe Flacco. Why? Because Joe Flacco was not making a lot of money. You didn't trade up to get him. Fell into your lap in the mid-first round. That, in my opinion, is still too high, but whatever. And you were able to win. And then the moment you pay Joe Flacco, what happens? You can't make the playoffs anymore. And Joe Flacco is not an isolated incident. I love him. He's from my city. But Russell Wilson, same thing. Russell Wilson in the Seahawks, winning champion, winning Super Bowl. They are perennial, dominant NFC teams. They go to a second Super Bowl. Should have beaten Tom Brady. In fact, Pete Carroll gets all the blame for losing that second Super Bowl, Russell threw the interception. You know? And what has happened to Seattle since Russell Wilson has signed his huge contract? Little by little, that team has not been able to put around a great team. The offensive line, we already know. The defense has gotten ordered, and you can pay the great defenders, right, what they want. And little by little, they leave, they age, they go. The offensive line hasn't gotten better. And now Seattle is an afterthought. That window opened and shut. We have this high idea, this high thought of what a quarterback means. But we have seen in recent history, not just way in the past, we've seen in recent history, you don't need a great quarterback to win. In fact, I don't think Nick Foles is good. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Nick Foles led a team to the Super Bowl and then beat Tom Brady in said Super Bowl, outplayed Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Nick Foles. You know who we beat in the NFC Championship game? Case Keenum. Case Keenum's not good. You know who Tom Brady beat in the AFC Championship game last year? It wasn't Ben Roethlisberger. Who was it? Blake Bortles. Tom Brady, six-round draft pick. I don't know where Nick Foles or Case Keenum went. The only two quarterbacks who were drafted in the first round, I believe, in the Final Four last year was Ben Roethlisberger and Blake Bortles. Think about that. You can, you can get to a NFC Championship game with Blake Bortles and Case Keenum. 
Why on earth would you move up in the first round to draft Paxton Lynch or Patrick Mahomes? And look, that's not a knock on Mahomes. He could be great. He could be great. Or he could be really good. Or he may struggle. And he may struggle when someone like Teddy Bridgewater, who you could get for dirt cheap, is perfectly capable of leading you to a championship. Does that mean I think Teddy Bridgewater is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? Of course not. Or Case Keenum? No. But the question should be, if I put $8 million, $7 million for Sam Bradford, $7 million for Teddy Bridgewater, but then have 20, 25 maybe million dollars to spend on an offensive lineman, right? On a secondary, on linebackers, on a defensive lineman. What's a better path at winning a championship? Because what I'm telling you is, unless you've got Tom Brady this or, or Peyton Manning, the idea that you need a quarterback to win in the NFL, it's a hot take. I know it. No one's talking about it. I get it. But that bubble has popped. It's long since gone. I wouldn't spend, I wouldn't sign a big free agent quarterback or spend for a big free agent quarterback. I wouldn't get top dollar to any of them. Any of them. I was reading an article. It was uh, from Minneapolis. And then uh, Kirk Cousins, he had a, you know, a fine preseason game, but the fans were booing them. And they were like, man, expectations are through the roof here in the Twin Cities. And I was like, you damn right. You know how much money you spent on Kirk Cousins? Let's be for real. I think Kirk Cousins is one of the best 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. I absolutely do. That doesn't mean I think he's worth or that it's smart to spend that much money on him. And look, if you went to an NFC Championship game with Case Keenum making dirt cheap money, you damn right you expect to win a Super Bowl if you're spending that much money on a quarterback who's a top 10 quarterback. Got the largest contract in NFL history. Of course you expect to win. Like, why wouldn't you? I mean, think about it. Every team in the NFL almost at this point now, right? Outside of the Saints because Drew Brees is the second-round pick. But they have either a, a top draft pick at their quarterback position or they spent huge money in free agency to get one. And in fact, when you think of it like that, the Saints absolutely spent a lot of money on Drew Brees. So every team in the NFL has, has spent significant amount. They have spent a large amount, whether it's dollar or resources in the draft, to have a quarterback. And look, it's the same teams. And the AFC, they're legit. I'll be nice and say there are three teams who can get to the Super Bowl. But in reality, and those three teams are Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, and New England. But in reality, we know what time it is in the AFC. It's the Patriots. It's them until they don't have it anymore. There's no team who has shown in the AFC that they could beat the Patriots. The Ravens were, had a little, a little run of being able to do it. And that's it. Peyton Manning could do it from time to time. But he's retired. And Joe Flacco is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. We already talked about that. So why are you think about the Jags? The Jags, it's not Blake Bortles' fault that they lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, but he gets all the blame. But that's fine. Imagine if Jacksonville didn't spend a top five pick on Blake Bortles in the first round a few years ago, right? Because you can you could get something better than that off the scrap heap. Again, 
Nick Foles was the Super Bowl MVP. The Jaguars are primed, primed for a Super Bowl run. And I think all of us would say that their weakest link is their quarterback, someone that they spent a high draft pick on. But don't worry about that because they can still win a Super Bowl now, even though their quarterback is not very good because the quarterback position, the idea that you need a quarterback to win, and it's been disproven time and time again. Joe Flacco, Russell Wilson, Nick Foles, Eli Manning. Eli Manning's not a good quarterback. He's fine at his best. He's fine. But the word that you would use to describe Eli is inconsistent. He's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. And it's not a coincidence that when the Giants are really, really good, they either have a great defense or they've got Odell Beckham Jr. Okay? Like, let's be honest. The Giants are not good because of Eli Manning. Eli Manning has never been able to carry a team. He has been able to get hot. He has been able to get on a heater. To use a gambling reference, right? You go at the crap table, you just get hot. Everything you throw on is coming up winning, right? That's what Eli. Eli has parlayed two amazing postseason runs until people thinking that he's a great quarterback. Eli is far from great. But you can win with them. And you can beat the Patriots with him. You know, the funny thing is, I remember 2012 when Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III were two can't-miss prospects. Oh, my God, these two guys are going to be two of the greats ever. Andrew Luck is the best prospect since John Elway, RG3. He's going to change the game. These two guys are going to change the franchises for the Colts and uh, Redskins respectfully. Respectfully. And what happened? Here we are six years later. Best quarterback that was taken in that year, Russell Wilson. The second best quarterback taken that year, arguably, is Kirk Cousins. Third and fourth round picks, respectively. respectively. You can't make it up. Who's the best quarterbacks, the young best quarterbacks in the league right now? Like, take Aaron Rodgers, take Tom Brady, take Drew Brees away. Like, those three guys, three of the all-time greats. Take them away. Who are the best young quarterbacks right now? Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, right? I think those two guys, if you were to ask the best young quarterbacks in the game, those two guys are the answer. Both of those guys, I think, are really, really good. Both of those guys are coming off ACL injuries, so we don't even know how they're going to respond. So even the players who are can't miss find ways to miss because the game is just so violent. So even when you get it right, even when you don't draft a Johnny Manziel or Jamarcus Russell or Tim Tebow or Paxton Lynch or Jameis Winston or Jake Locker in the first round, even when you don't draft any of those guys in the first round, even when you get the slam dunk quarterback in the first round, you then have to worry that, oh, my God, could there be an Andrew Luck where he goes multiple seasons without playing? And I don't know if he could take a big hit. Where Look at where the Colts are now. Look at where Washington is at the RG3, moving up so many, trading so many picks to get RG3. And it looked like a, an amazing idea for 10 weeks, 12 weeks. It looked like it was great. And then look what happened. 
Alex Smith was the first pick in the draft. People forget. He's lost his job twice. Two different times. So, yeah, Tom Brady wins all the Super Bowls. Yes, he's the Michael Jordan of his sport. Don't think that it's easily or it's easy to replicate, to duplicate, because it's not. And then you've got guys like Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, two of the best five to ten quarterbacks to ever play the game. And they have a combined number of Super Bowl totals that Eli Manning has by himself. You know, Ben Roethlisberger has the same number of Super Bowls that Russell Wilson and Joe Flacco have. Rex Grossman has been to the Super Bowl more times than Andrew Luck. The numbers, the numbers speak for themselves. The quarterback position has popped. If you have an Aaron Rodgers, spend the money on him because he's truly great enough to make up the, for the mistakes of your front office and your head coach. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that's the cross that he has to bear and carry, but that's part of his greatness. No matter what, he has a tight end as his running back for two seasons. No one cares, right? Because he's practically a lock to get you to the playoffs. But that's it because they haven't been able to build anything around him. So if you have an Aaron Rodgers, go for it. Spend the money. But if you don't, don't spend $4 on gas if you could go down the street and get it for $220. Use your brain. Counter-program. I don't know if anybody does it in the NFL, but I, I truly feel the first organization that's like, you know what? I'm not going to spend money on a quarterback. I'm going to find a quarterback who's good. I'm going to find a quarterback who's capable. And from time to time, can get me a big pass when I need it. But I'm going to build through the draft, and I'm not going to move up to draft a quarterback. I'm going to draft an offensive line, a monster offensive line. We've seen what an offensive line has done for the Cowboys because Dak Prescott isn't anything special. Then I'm going to draft the great defensive backs and pass rushers. Ain't no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to find a quarterback who's capable. I'm not going to spend big money in free agency. I'm not going to trade and spend a high draft pick. I'm going to find the Kirk Cousins or Russell Wilson, or Drew Brees, or Derek Carr, or guess what? Maybe even a Tom Brady, or Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the NFL. Man, the NFL sells dreams better than they sell alcohol, man. I'm telling you, everybody thinks that whatever the NFL tells you, everybody eats that up, despite facts, despite data, historical perspective, the whole nine. But I'm here to, to kind of breathe some common sense into the NFL discussion. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you didn't, if you disagree, or you want to just hear your, your thought, hear me give my opinion on your take, tweet at me at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show, or you can email me at quarterly report, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E report at gmail.com. So, man, I know it's warm, it's humid now. Man, maybe your headphones are a little extra hot because of that hot take that I had to get off my chest, the scorching hot take on the NFL. But, man, we're not going to let up on you because we got another controversial topic for our second topic this week. Second We've all heard the saying that any publicity is good publicity. And if you subscribe to that theory, then the WNBA has been having a hell of a week. Now, last week, we talked about the start of the playoffs. They've had exciting 
basketball. And the Mystics, shout out to the Mystics. Shout out to Mark Nelkin. <laughs> they're still doing well. At the time of this record, they're, they have a lead against the Atlanta Dream. Um, they're up one game to nothing in their series. So shout out to the Mystics. And, you know, there's a lot of momentum, as I talked to my guest last week, Princess. There's a lot of momentum behind the league, right, to, to rally it, to cover it better. And because it's a, it's a chicken and the egg theory a little bit, right? If you cover the league better, more people will watch, more people will have interest because they see, right, that people are speaking about this league. I mean, anything. If, if everybody at your job is talking about a television show, you're more likely to watch it, right? That's basic just human interaction. But the problem with the WNBA is that there's so many people, oftentimes, more times than not men, who go out of their way to paint the league as something less than and to ridicule the league without even watching it, without even looking at it, for a multitude of reasons. And this week, the person who has felt the ire of the WNBA, like the people, who, the detractors of the league, has been Skylar Diggins-Smith. Now, she had an article, she was a centerpiece of an article last week, literally, I want to say Thursday. So my interview with Princess, we did that earlier in the week. Show releases Thursday, and then Thursday afternoon, everyone's talking about this quote that Skylar Diggins has about she's an all-star, Harrison Barnes. Apparently, now, now there is some back and forth that she didn't say this quote about Harrison Barnes, um, that... Harrison Barnes isn't an all-star, but he makes 20 some odd million dollars a year. Then people have taken just made up complete quotes that have been verified that she did not say, whether it's talking about LeBron, talking about skill of players and lead the whole nine. But her, her overall point is that the WNBA, the players in that league, they are not respected and they're not paid the way they should be. Not that they should be paid like NBA players. Obviously, she's not making that case. But her case is that the NBA, they get a 50-50 split of the BRI. BRI, for those of you who don't know, basketball-related income. So their CBA has negotiated a 50-50 split between the NBA players and the NBA owners and such, right? The WNBA, I want to say they're, don't quote me on this, I want to say it's like 23 25% of the BRI. So they're not getting half of the basketball-related income. Skylar Diggins also makes the point that they don't get proceeds. They don't get um, the residuals of jersey sales. She's one of the most popular players in terms of jersey sales in the league. She says she's top five in that and has been that for several seasons. But she doesn't get money from the jerseys that she sells. All of these are valid points. All of them. But y'all know how things break down, right? If we are to... Unfortunately, we can't because unfortunately, when these women speak about and it's not just with this league, well, then anything when it comes to women, when they speak, when they voice their concerns, there's a but there's like a front line of men ready to, you know, discredit them and insult them and ridicule them. So they stop for whatever reason. It's like just a reflex for many of us men to do that. That's trash. Let me first make that point. There is nothing wrong with Skylar Diggins advocating for herself and the women of that league that they deserve to be played deserve to be paid more and to get a a larger cut of their bri basketball related income and absolutely they deserve to get sales or the residuals or get 
recouped, reimbursed for jersey sales. Especially when, you know, their endorsements on all over, not like the little ones in the NBA, like all over the WNBA jerseys. Boom. We have established that. And it's easy and we should dismiss just the blatant sexism that that comes anytime you talk about the WNBA because there are people who don't watch the WNBA but are always quick to ridicule them. We're not talking about them. But it is a reasonable discussion to have about how the WNBA should continue when it comes to paying their players. The WNBA, it's um, murky trying to find figures of what they have, that they bring in annually. I've seen numbers from 51 and a half million, and that number seems the most credible, um, all the way to about 27 to 30 million that they are, that the league is bringing in annually. I don't know, so I'm not going to speculate, okay? Those of you, like I said last week, I'm not a student of the WNBA. I have just become a fan in the last year and a half, two years, because it's entertaining basketball that I can see, you know, on television and in person at a drop of a dime. And that's dope. But it it is not out of bounds for me, and I'm not speculating when I say that the WNBA does not generate a lot of money. And nor should they be expected to. This is the 21st season of the WNBA. So anytime a comparison is made to any professional league, when you look at them now, you're going to get a, a, a completely different perspective. The The NBA is in its maybe a 75th, 76th season, right? Something along those lines. The WNBA is in its 21st. It took the NBA God knows how many decades before it became profitable. So anytime you're going to compare the WNBA of 2018 to the NBA of 2018 or the NFL or MLB, obviously you're, you're being disingenuous or you're being ill-informed, right? There are two types of investments. There are short-term investments and there are long-term investments. I have to believe that the NBA knew that the WNBA was going to be a long-term investment because, look, again, I'm not making this up. These stories are, are out there. They haven't been able to turn a profit. James Dolan, a man who I'd wish every day of, of my adult life that he would sell the Knicks, the, team that, the one team that I love, he said in December of 2017 that he's going to sell the Liberty because he's not turning a profit. The New York Liberty one of the more successful teams in its inception in the league's inception. And James Dolan, whose Knicks franchise is reportedly worth close to $3 billion, right? The most profitable league NBA team in the league. He's saying that the Liberty they're hemorrhaging money and he can't wait to sell them. He's going out of his way to sell it. So that does speak to, um, how profitable the league is currently. Now, we, again, we're seeing progress. There's momentum. And the WNBA is not a short-term investment. Think of it like your stocks, your portfolio. Maybe you are a little bit aggressive when it comes to certain things that you hear or you, you really feel strongly about. And you think, boom, this is short-term, five years. I want to see some, some return on my investment. And then 
there are going to be other investments that you take the long view on. That's exactly what the WNBA has been to the NBA. The NBA must view the WNBA in more than just a plus a dollar some game. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're in it for two decades. They see more value in the WNBA than just being in the green. That's not to say that they don't value making money because of course they do. Any league does. But that in and of itself is the issue when it comes to how do you break down the WNBA? How these women should be paid and be paid more to be paid and treated with more respect. Because the basketball related income, that's a, this is just a, in a name and 50-50 sounds fair and boom. But you also have to understand that the WNBA, it's been financially supported by a lot of people because they don't make a lot of money. And I don't know if they're making money right now. Like, I don't know if the money that they are bringing in is greater than the money it costs to keep the league afloat. You know, Skylar Diggins-Smith may uh, mention Mark Cuban in her piece. And then, you know, I think that was fair. I, I was uncomfortable with the Harrison Barnes quote. Um, but Mark Cuban is absolutely fair. She said, you know what, Mark Cuban hasn't been to one um, Wings game this year, uh, the Dallas team that she plays for. Obviously, Mark Cuban is a Dallas Mavericks owner. But also, Mark Cuban is one of the hosts of a popular show called Shark Tank. And think of it like this, and Shark Tank, because a lot of people watch this show. You have an idea. No matter how great the idea is, you still need someone in that show to support you financially, right? Because the idea is one thing, but then to make it, to market it, to mass produce it, to ship it, all of these things cost money that oftentimes inventors don't have. So they go to the investors, please listen to my idea, my product, believe in it, and then you and I both can make money together. So the investors decide, okay, this is something that I think I can make money. They give you money. They're not giving you money out of the kindness of their heart. They're giving you money to recoup it later and more because they believe in your product. The NBA and other entities that are supporting financially the WNBA obviously believe in the WNBA product and they have seen progress. Again, this is not a short-term investment. And we have seen the movement. The WNBA is still in its infancy. It's only 21 years old. Okay, so let's, we, got, we have to be realistic in our expectations of what this league should gross. But saying that, we also have to understand that a lot of people who invest in the league, they got to get their money first before the players do. That's not necessary. There is sexism all around this story. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong, especially in how it's been covered and how certain people with no ties to the WNBA have reacted so negatively to it. But the thing that trumps this, in my opinion, and I am an outsider's view, and if you are someone who follows the WNBA closely, if you are a woman who loves the WNBA or maybe even a former player, please tweet at me. Email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show, quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. And check me because, look, again, like I said, I'm just kind of scratching the surface. And I don't want to mansplain this. But in my perspective, it feels like capitalism is the, the thing that is trumping the WNBA 
from the actual finance position, right? The women, Skylar Diggins-Smith says, she, and she hasn't even said that she wants a 50-50 split, but she wants more than what they have, and I think that's reasonable. But we don't know how much the league is bringing in, and we don't know how much it costs to run this league. And when I say run this league, insurance, how much does it cost to 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 get the, the, the arena space, to employ everyone in the arena, to employ the referees, right? For the plane rides, to for catering the foods, for the hotels, all of these things that cost money, right? Security at the events. All of these things cost money. I don't know how much the league is making to then be like, okay, now let's offset what we make to pay these women a 50-50 or 60-40, whatever the case may be. Now, again, the WNBA, for me, this past week, I've been doing some research trying to figure out a concrete number of what they bring in the league, what, what the BRI is, what is the number of money that, like, how much money does this league bring in? I haven't been able to find a concrete number, okay? But we have to, but let's say the number that I've seen more used mostly by respected people is 51 and a half, right? So let's just round that to 25 million. 25 and a half million, whatever, however you want to do it. If they had a 50-50 split, that means the women, the players, are getting $21.5 million of that $51 million BRI number, okay? Which means the league is also then getting $21.5 million. And I don't know that you can run a league that plays 30-some-odd games, that plays in big-time arenas, that plays across this nation for $21.5 million. I honestly don't know. I do think it says something about us as a society, that we're not more, I don't know, invested. That the women of the league have to tell media outlets, cover us, treat us as if we are the best at what we do, right? That should that should go without saying. They shouldn't have to. And in other countries, they don't. The salaries for women basketball in Europe far outweighs that than it does here in America, where most of these women are from. So there is absolutely sexism in the way this is covered. There's absolutely sexism in the way that people react. And there is absolutely sexism in the way we treat our women athletes, particularly the WNBA women athletes, right? And I get Skylar Dickinson's frustration. I can only imagine how annoying and frustrating it is to always have to take it upon yourself. Like she can't just focus on... Be, like be, becoming a better player. She just can't focus on the playoffs, right? Or working on this particular game or endorsement or endorsements that, you know, her male counterparts do. She also has to go every time she has a microphone on a large platform, she has to say, yo, why is it that we don't get covered? Why is it that we're in the playoffs and no one on sports radio talks about us? In spite, even though that our numbers are up, why is it that we are a partner with ESPN, but they don't, they don't go out of their way to big us up. Like, we're partners. ESPN and the WNBA are absolutely partners. But if you watch SportsCenter, if you watch any of the main shows, they don't talk about it. That's not a partnership. I know firsthand at my last job, when they were partners, you couldn't say a word about the Wizards negatively. Even if it wasn't a negative, 
because they were a partner with the Wizards. So everything that you said relating to the Wizards, it got double, triple, quadruple checked and then spun. And trust me, it's annoying. So I can only imagine these women, many of whom have media backgrounds or are actually in the media now, seeing how how networks bend over backwards to make sure their partnerships are always on a positive, you know, everything is always A1 with their partnerships. And the WNBA is treated like the redheaded stepchild. So I get that frustration. And I absolutely, and I hope, I hope these women get paid what they feel they're, they are, that they feel that they deserve. A respected amount. Hell, we're just a few weeks removed from, I believe, the Sparks. They forfeited a game because they just felt like, yo, we can't go travel like this. They're not, they don't have charter jets. They fly private like you and I. You could go to the airport and, and see the Mystics and fly with the Mystics. They don't have chartered flights. And I understand why they wouldn't because that costs money. And I don't know if the league is bringing in enough money to do that. But again, the question remains. The, the NBA supports the WNBA for a reason. And it is a reason that is not solely based on finances. Because they're not making the money. They haven't been for, 20, for two plus decades. So there is other value that the NBA sees in the WNBA. What is that? Because if they have made the, the, the decision that we can go on with this league without making money, which I think is a good idea and it's a great idea and it's a long-term plan and strategy, then you also have to be like, okay, well, we're going to eat this now. But they are, they're clearly fine with that. But you have to treat your players once you've made that decision that we're not in it for immediate economic income then you got to go all in. You can't have your players play, flying regular flights across the country with one day rest, you know what I mean, between games. You just can't do that because if you've made the, 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 the internal decision that we are going to bypass the, prof, the bottom line currently for our long-term game, then boom, do that. And then still treat them and respect these athletes like they are the best at what they do because that's what they are. Because it doesn't make sense because ultimately all you do is end up hurting your, your, your bottom line. And in this climate, anytime, anytime, any group of people, no matter how valid that their point is, unfortunately, ask, not even ask, demand for equality, you will have a legion of people arguing at a moment's notice, even if they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And again, I can only imagine just how frustrating that is for not just Skylar Diggins Smith, but for every woman of the WNBA. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means we are at halftime. Once again, I want to thank you all for rocking with me this show. The 70th episode of the Quarterly Report. Easy for me to say. The 70th episode of the Quarterly Report. Remember, get involved. Interact with me and the show. Tweet at us at Quarterly Show. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. S-H-O-W. Let me know your thoughts. Give me your opinions. Do you agree with my stance on the WNBA or not? Let me know either way. I want to interact with you all, the listeners. 
And make sure you email me as well at quarterly report. Again, it's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E report at gmail.com. All right, guys. So halftime this week. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. My daughter, fresh off her eighth birthday. She is the superstar of the Lee household. But is she a bigger superstar than Bill Walton? Well, I'll leave that to you to decide with another installment of Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. Check it out. It's time now for Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. I want to see Ben Wallace come out with war paint on his face. You sound like you've joined the coalition of the bought off. <laughs> Rayford Fence and Sean Bradley should start considering a new career. Get to the hoop, draw some contact, please. Atlanta needs all 13 lottery picks. That's the easiest shot he's had this season, maybe in his entire career. And that was... Bill Walton's words of wisdom. Bill Walton, man, I swear, national treasure. I don't know why ESPN, TNT, NBA TV, whomever. If you're uh, one of these uh, websites who stream, you know, NBA content, everybody's trying to get on the online streaming. Big three, somebody like Bill Walton needs to call everything. Everything is funnier with Bill Walton. And one thing, there's a lot of dope things that I, I enjoy about doing this show. I really do. But hearing all of you tweet at me or email me randomly, like, yo, I thought I was the only one who liked Bill Walton too. I love that. Like, Bill Walton, I can't tell y'all how much I enjoyed. Part of, like, growing up an NBA fan wasn't just the games. It was everything else. All the ancillary things. Bill Walton. Steve Snapper Jones, God bless the dead, going back and forth. You know, Marv Albert, Bob Costas, ride, Bob Costas and Ahmad Rashad competing on who can ride Michael Jordan's jock the, the, the hardest. It was all of it. All of that stuff was fun inside the NBA before Charles Barkley got on it. You know what I'm saying? All of these things are what, you know, led me to love the NBA. And I think we should all bring it back. So... Obviously, having my daughter read the, the wise words of Bill Walton is, uh, you know, just a little bit of me kind of just channeling back to yesteryear. So is the hashtag bring back Tesh. I haven't forgotten about it. We did it last year. We're going to bring that back this year, man, because all of these NBC, you know, regional sport networks. If you're in D.C., NBC used to be Comcast Sportsnet, you know, where you watch the Wizards. If you listen in Chicago, you watch the Bulls. Uh, in the Bay Area, you listen to the Warriors. All these networks are owned by NBC. There's no way or there's no reason why on every season opener we come back with the John Tesh round ball. What was it called? Round ball classic? Y'all know the song. Da, 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 da. Every year. So we're going to bring. Hey, man, we're coming back. Retro is all the the the, the, the phase, the, the fad, the trend. Everybody's going back retro. We're going to retro the NBA, man. We're going to do it. Bill Walton needs to be calling something. And damn it, John Tesh, hashtag bring back Tesh. We're going to make a movement. Y'all listening to the quarterly report. I promise y'all. One of those two things are going to happen. I'm stirring as hell. I'm not going to stop until one of them do. 
All right, y'all. I got thrown off a little bit, but we're going to try to refocus and regroup with the second half. We're going to do things a little bit differently. The third quarter is when I usually have the guests, but we're going to move the guests to the fourth quarter this week because uh, it was a huge loss for us in the NBA community. Most of you guys probably know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, no worries. That's what the third topic is this week. Third quarter. Manu Ginobili is one of my favorite basketball players of all time. And, you know, that has, that's kind of like the trendy thing I've seen. You know, a lot of people uh, have been giving Manu praise now for some time, expecting his retirement to come in a year, right? So for the last handful of seasons, you know, it's been kind of like, okay, at some point he's going to retire because his game, while he's still very productive, he's just not the same player anymore. And he's getting up there and look, they always say father time is undefeated. That that saying is going remains true. The only person that was even fighting it is Tom Brady. And we all know in spite of how great Brady is, at some point he's going to walk away too. So everyone has been heaping praise. I shouldn't say everyone. Many have been heaping praise on Mano Ginobili, but I've been surprised a by the number of people who've done a complete about face about Ginobili. And I'll get to that in a second. And to the people who still, still will fight, be just defiant, you know, in spite of all of the accolades that he's getting from the best and brightest minds, whether we're talking about the players, coaches, or people who cover the NBA, there's still people who act like, oh man, he only had career average of 13 points a game or whatever. Alabama's still on PPG. I've, I've been pleading for you all, been pleading to you all for like a year and a half now. Stop it. We still on that? Manu Ginobili, his greatness can't be defined by the number of games or the number of points he averaged. For many reasons. Number one, he was great, not just because of the way he scored, but the way he created. At his prime, he was an amazing defender. And something that can't be overstated, he sacrificed those numbers, the PPG. He sacrificed all of that, all of the opportunity to come off the bench because it was what's best for the team. Every athlete always talks about sacrifice. Every player, every coach, former player, analyst, you name it. We always throw out these cliches. Are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up for your ultimate goal? It sounds good. It sounds really good. Ginobili actually did it. Who knows how many points he could have scored for any other team as a starting two guard. And make no mistake. Manu Ginobili was one of the best two guards in his day. I put him right up there, early 2000s. Put him up there with everybody. Everybody means Kobe too. And this leads me to my next point, man. Because the discussion regarding Manu Ginobili has been incredibly frustrating for someone like myself who has always lived and breathed the NBA. I remember having arguments. This is like eight years ago. Eight, nine years ago, 
in a newsroom, a sports newsroom. And the majority of the people I was arguing were telling me that Manu Ginobili was not a Hall of Fame player. And the crazy thing is, I think most people, if y'all are being honest, if you're listening to my voice, y'all either know someone or either or felt that way yourself about Manu Ginobili. And let's be clear, Ginobili is 100% first ballot Hall of Famer. And also, let's be clear, Manu Ginobili's last eight years, eight seasons, didn't submit him in the Hall of Fame. Manu Ginobili was a Hall of Fame player in 2010 or 2009. You know, and to think otherwise is crazy. We get so caught up in raw numbers. But I think it's even more than that. This is one of the reasons why I'm such an advocate for advanced statistics because everyone who, who doesn't, Align with advanced stats. Everyone who talks about analytics in this negative form, they always fall back on the eye test. I believe what my eyes tell me. And the eye test, that sounds good. But before, and I could critique and pick apart the eye test all day. But the number one reason why I think the eyeball test is trash as a method for most people and in regards of evaluating NBA players. It's because the eyeball test doesn't work if you don't watch. And the numbers bear it out. Most people were not watching the NBA in the early 2000s. Not to the degree that they were watching it in the 90s. And not to the degree that they're watching it now. When Jordan left, there was this big vacancy. Even with the Lakers. Even with Shaq and Kobe. And you could tell it. Because... The NBA Finals, early 2000s. It fell off a cliff. Fell off a cliff. Think about it. We talk, We get all caught up in market size. Market size, that drives the NBA. No, it doesn't. The Knicks were in the Finals in 99. The Nets, another New York market, were in the Finals, what, 2002 and 2003. Philadelphia was in the Finals in 2001. Right? All of these big market teams. The Lakers were in the, the finals in 2004 when they lost to the Pistons. Big markets. But nobody was watching. And I have my own idea about why people stopped watching. And it goes against everything that you hear. So this is, this is one of the main reasons why. I have this podcast, man, because number one, obviously I love sports and obviously I love to talk about sports and cover sports and 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 put it together in a way that hopefully is entertaining for each and every one of you all who listen to the show. But I find myself frustrated so often with these talking points that are like just shoved down our throats or down our ears that just make no no sense when you when you hold it to the light of facts. Everyone talks about how the NBA is going to be ruined because it's a foregone conclusion of who's going to win a championship. There's only two or three teams. Many people say there's only two to three teams who can win a championship this season. I don't necessarily believe that, but let's go with it. Let's say it's just Houston, uh, Boston, and obviously Golden State. Let's say those are the three teams who have a legit chance at winning a championship. Again, I think that there are more, but whatever. Three. It's a nice number. And everyone says, or many people say that that's bad for the league, that 
it's not watchable. It's not something that people would want to engage in if there's only three teams who can honestly say they have a chance at winning. It turns off the casual fan and all this other stuff. And we could, we could point to the 90s and we could point to the 80s and the 70s and every era in the NBA's history that when it's popular, it was driven by a dynasty, right? Everybody loved the Celtics versus the Lakers. Everybody loved Michael Jordan. And everybody now currently loves Golden State. We can show all this and people still don't want to hear it. They dismiss it because, you know, it's hard to change someone's mind in the moment. Especially with positivity. Because we're such a negative culture now. Everybody wants to debate. Everybody was, everybody's taking shots at somebody. It's not about uplifting. It's about taking it, tearing down. All this other stuff. Y'all know it. We live it. So I'm, I'm actually going to try a different tactic. And if you're an NBA fan, use it. Everyone says that the NBA is it's, it's, it's a hard product to really get involved in because everyone knows there's no parity and no one likes to see a league like that. And I point out the early 2000s because the reason why so many people don't fully appreciate Manu Ginobili is because the same people who love to talk about the NBA now, they weren't watching the league. And the reason I feel that they weren't not watching the league is because in the early 2000s, there were a number of teams, a number of teams who had a legit shot of being called a champion. And that's not hyperbole. If you remember this, let me have to go. Let's go through the memory books, right? We know about the Lakers. We know about the Spurs. What about the Sacramento Kings? The Kings never went to one finals, but I'd be damned if anybody going to sit here and tell me that they weren't a championship contender. Those Kings teams, and it's unfortunate because history will not remember them. Not only will they not remember them fondly, they just won't remember them because they didn't go to a championship. They didn't win a championship. But that Kings team was amazing. Weber, Vlade, Peja, Jason Williams, Gerald Wallace off the bench, Shido Turkoglu, Bobby Jackson off the bench. Scott Pollard's crazy ass. Doug Christie. Mike Bibby. Come on. That was a squad. And they gave the Lakers everything that they could handle. You know who else was a championship contender? The Portland Trailblazers. Remember how deep they were? Jermaine O'Neal couldn't get run. He had to leave because they had no minutes for him. You're going to tell me that that squad wasn't a championship contender? Get out of my face. Of course they were. You know who else were? The Dallas Mavericks. We know that Dirk eventually led them to a finals and led them to a championship in another year. But I'm talking about the Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Dirk Nowitzki team. Don't tell me that they weren't a championship contender because they absolutely were. We could keep on going. The Detroit Pistons won a championship, went to back-to-back finals, could have went back-to-back championships and beat the Lakers. They were a contender. They went to like seven straight conference championships. You know who else was? The Indiana Pacers. I truly believe that had the malice in the palace not happened, the Pacers would have won a championship. The Jason Kidd took the Nets to back-to-back championships, and if you don't want to say they were a championship contender, I, I won't I won't argue too harshly, right? Because I think they were the best team in the East. And that at that point, the drop-off between the conferences 
were significant. So if you don't want to say that the Nets were a legit championship te contending team, okay, because I'm not going to say that the Sixers were a championship contending team either. But if we don't use the Nets or the Sixers, two teams who actually went to the finals, and we just use the Lakers, the Spurs, the Kings, the Blazers, the Mavericks, the Pistons, and the Pacers. That's seven teams in a five-year, six-year stretch. And then you could also save the Suns once Steve Nash left Dallas. So that's eight teams in the early to mid part of the 2000s who had a legit chance at winning a championship. But nobody was watching the NBA at that time. So that cuts against all the talk that you hear about how everybody wants parity and everybody loves to have a league where a bunch of teams can actually have a chance at winning a championship. No, we don't. The numbers say so. The numbers indicate this. If that was the case, hockey and baseball would be the leading leagues in the world, in, the, in this country, but they're not. We like dynasties. We like to root for and root against powerhouses. And that's fine. That's cool. But the reason that that's important to note, especially in this conversation, is because so many of y'all don't know what the hell y'all talking about. And maybe not y'all. Let me tell you that. I'm sorry, because that comes off as smug. So many of people in the, our, in the NBA culture who love to talk about the NBA online, face-to-face, -face, at the shop, at the park, or on social media, they don't know what the hell they're talking about because they weren't watching. It's cool. It's the wave now to talk about the NBA now. Slim, I remember. I remember people. I was searching for Bamas to talk about the Spurs and the Pistons in the finals. That seven-game series where Robert Ory hit one of the biggest shots in NBA history. I remember that. And I remember people complaining about how unwatchable the, that, that, that the NBA was at that time. Unfortunately, there are a lot of great teams and great players who will fall victim to people's indifference of that era of NBA basketball. And I can't think of a player who will be hurt more than Mono Ginobili because if you weren't watching the NBA in 2004 and in 2005, 7, all the way to 2009, then you have no idea how great Ginobili was, man. He's not just a catchphrase that Charles Barkley would scream. Charles Barkley was streamed Ginobili because that Bama was a killer. Ask Kobe. Y'all idol. Ask him. So the next time someone comes at you crazy for, for heaping praise on Manu Ginobili, the next time someone looks at you crazy because you think correctly that Manu Ginobili is a first ballot Hall of Famer, man, tell him, do your, do your history. You know, watch a playoff series from the early 2000s because that's going to be a forgotten time in the NBA history books. People will wrap up the early 2000s with a really simple, quick, and unfair kind of, to sum it up, to summarize it, being Shaq, Kobe, and Tim Duncan. Shaq, Kobe, and Tim Duncan are three of the greatest basketball players of all time. But you better make sure, you better make sure, and as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to make sure no one forgets the Sacramento Kings. 
I'm going to make sure no one forgets those fun Dallas Mavericks teams or the super fun Phoenix Suns teams. And we all in the NBA community need to make sure that no one forgets the name of Manu Ginobili. All right, y'all, that's the third quarter. We are one quarter left of the 70th episode, and this is going to be the week that I end the show with my guest, my cousin, promoter and analyst, Sadiq Abdul. Fourth Each and every month, he joins me to discuss all the current events surrounding sports and entertainment. Plus, we like to play a game where he gets the opportunity to let me know and the world know if I'm crazy for any of my takes that you hear during the show. The one, the only, Sadiq Abdul, my cousin. Deke, what's going on, cuz? Hey, what's up, cuz? Hey, quarterly fans, how y'all doing? Once again, he's a promoter and sports analyst and has the opportunity to do what I'm sure most of you all listening do throughout the show each and every week, and that's tell me whether I'm crazy or not for my take. So we got some takes for you this week, Sadiq. You know the rules. Everybody already understands the rules, so we're going to get right at it. Deke, you bleed burgundy and gold. Yes, sir. I just cut myself and it just <laughs> oozed out. And with the NFL season a week away, it's time to focus in on the gridiron, specifically Washington. And a lot of people are excited about Adrian Peterson. He had one preseason game versus Denver where he looked like he was he was the real deal, that he didn't lose a step. But I feel that that is complete fool's gold, that we have enough data from Adrian Peterson, not just last season, but from two years ago, to suggest that what we saw in the third preseason game, while inspiring, is not something that you can bake on for a 16-game season. So, Sadiq, I feel Adrian Peterson's dominant game in the preseason versus Denver is fool's gold. Am I crazy? Well, yeah, I, I feel as though you're tripping, tripping. Let me tell you something. AP, I'm not saying he's going to have a career year or anything like that, but if Jay, the coach, if he sticks with the run, someone like AP, he's not somebody you can count out completely. And, and even last year, if you really watched his highlights, um, that were all put together and things and, and understand what was going on as far as, like, his circumstance of being in New Orleans. And, and you know, he came into camp kind of, you know, semi-late in New Orleans. Then he got to Arizona and bought out. Like, if you really – Watch what was going on. He had a decent season in a sense. Now, it's not up to his part, you know, his standards. But I feel like he still has something left in the tank. And all I'm asking for is, as a, as a Redskins fan, I'm not asking for 1,000 yards and 2,000 and all that type of stuff. But he can give us about 800, maybe like six to eight to more touchdowns. You know, just be able to finish games third, third and one. Can we pick up this third and one? Or can we just you know, keep the sticks moving and things like that. But he's he's a different type of animal. It's certain guys that you just can't count out. Like people said Dwayne Wade was done. You know, he actually is he's a shell of himself, but he's still kind of bald in the playoffs. We saw that. LeBron is thirty three. He's a freak of nature. I know those are basketball guys, but it's certain people. Julius Peppers is a freak for what he did, and I think he's about, what, 48? I don't know what he was when he was last year, and he was still getting sacks and all that. You know, so it's certain people that you can't count out. And Adrian Peterson's thirty three is a normal running back's 28, even along with the injuries. That's how great he is. So, yes, he's going to – he's going to he has a little bit – and then the fact that we're even talking about it right now, and you're, you're doubting him, I hope he hears this because he's the type of guy that you don't want to doubt. He's going to prove you wrong. Armand Lee, get him, get him, Adrian Peterson. All right, so I get where you're coming from, and if we're looking at Adrian Peterson 
as a specialist. Like you brought up Julius Peppers, mm-hmm. and at this point in Julius Peppers' career, he just comes on in passing downs, right, where he gets to rush the passer. You don't ask Julius yeah. Peppers to do anything else. He's not anything mm-hmm. what he once was. Now all he does is in, he's a specialist yeah. in terms of rushing the passer. So if we're going to use Adrian okay. Peterson along the lines as, you know, to go back a decade or so ago, Marion Barber, someone who can just kind of get short yardages, right? Third and one goal line situations. Cool. That's fine. But what Washington has, at least what it seems to be, that they have propped him up, that he's the starter, he's the number one running back, all of this. And all you have to do is just go back to last season. I mean, in Arizona, he averaged less I want to say what 3.4 yards a carry. Yeah, but they but they but they had a couple guys that got hurt also. Their line is trash. Hold on. You you don't compare don't compare the Redskins line to Arizona. They are trash. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. Arizona has one of the best rushing attacks in the league. When was the last time Washington had an, a 1000-yard rusher? When was the last time y'all had a competent rushing game? Washington y'all not in any position to be you know, dismissing anyone else's rushing in offensive line. Because we have Rob Kelly. They have David Johnson, some of the stat. I don't care who blocking. Our see, run see, game that's is my terrible. Point. Y'all looking at name recognition. David Johnson wasn't David Johnson, what we view him now, three seasons ago. But with that offensive line, and yes, he's a very good player, he showed everybody what he can do. But that's name recognition, what you're doing. And I think that's part of the issue why so many people are so hyped for Adrian Peterson. It's name recognition. You guys are ignoring what he actually did on the field, not just last season, I mean, I, but the season prior. Yeah, I agree. I'm not asking, like I said, like I just stated a couple seconds ago, I'm not asking for a lot from Adrian Peterson where he carries our team or anything like that. But if you use him sparingly and you know how to game plan, like some games are, let's say we go into a game with a team that has a terrible run defense. Man, run Adrian Peterson. That might be the game where he gets 20 carries. I'm sorry. You might got to run him in. But the very next week, we might play a team that just can't, like, their linebackers might can't check. Uh, uh, they might cannot cover tight ends, and, and we can pass the ball like crazy. This might be a game where Alec could pass the ball 30, 40 times, and you might don't have to run AP maybe like 10 times that game, a couple screens, and throw some tosses where he gets tackled. You know, throw him some tosses and stuff like that where he's only going to get tackled by cornerbacks and maybe like outside linebackers versus going straight up into the line where he's getting tackled by D tackles and, and middle linebackers. You know what I'm saying? So basically it's all about game planning and, and, and what they implement, to, you know, for, to me, for him to be successful, for the team to be successful. I think he's going to have a good year. Well, we shall see. And one of the beautiful things about the NFL season is that there are plenty of storylines to kind of keep us satisfied whether or not our team is winning or not. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my cousin, Sadiq Abdul, promoter, sports analyst, and monthly uh, guest on the Quarterly Report. And each time Dick is on, y'all know what we do. He, I give him a few takes, and he lets me and the world know if I'm crazy or not for believing the way I do. So I guess I'm a little bit crazy on Adrian Peterson, or at least in the eyes of Dick. So we're going to keep things moving with our second topic. And we're going to stay on the football field for this, because this past week, Jerry Jones... A man who never shies away from attention or a microphone, for that matter. He jumped out there and said, hey, we need to go to an 18-game regular season with two preseason games. A total of 20, so nothing really changes. Now we have 16 games and four preseason games, right? Jerry says keep 20 games total, but just have two preseason games and 18 regular season games. He says, number one, that that's going to be more safe for the players, which is complete BS. But that's not the point that I want to talk about. The point that I want to talk about is 
the NFL would be crazy to add any more regular season games to the 16 that they have now and what they've had for decades. Sadiq, am I crazy for thinking that the NFL 16-game regular season is perfect and should not be changed at all? I'm going to tell you, if we were in a league together right now, I would love to drug test you because you <laughs> definitely a smack. I'm going to tell you, as a fan, as a fan of football, I love football. When I tell you, if, if they want to give me 30 games, I don't care. What, look, let them dudes kill themselves, get their bodies and all that. Look, man, give me 30 games. You know what I mean? Like, if you can give me two more games, so, first off, man, we're trying to find shows and all. You try to enjoy your summer. You go there with your family. You go to these beaches and stuff. Man, look, if they can cut summer down two more weeks, I'm cool with that. All right? 18, man, I would love it. 18 games? Yes, we need that. Just pay the, pay the players a little more. You know, uh, extend the rosters to maybe instead of 53, add, you know, 10 more, 63. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of ways to get around that. You know, even even like the first cuts, you know how they do cuts in preseason uh, from like, what, 90-something 90 to 53 or is it 75 to 53? But whatever it is, 53 is the, first, is the game day uh, roster. That's the game day number. What they need to do is even the first two games of the season aren't your, aren't your cuts yet. I got that idea from a friend of mine, so I'm giving him a shout-out right here. But... As, you know, they don't. They might don't need to cut it until maybe the second week of the season. You know, and even and even with that, eighteen games, you can even make even generate even more money, more buzz because you can add an extra playoff team now. So you can add instead of six teams in the conference, seven teams make it and just take away that buy for the number two. If you're not first, you're last. So first, the only the number one gets the buy. You know, you the, the two the two could play the seven, the three you know the three plays the six, the four plays the five, and then once you get to the semifinals, that's when the one plays who you know the lowest seed. But yeah, they, that's what they need to do. They need to you know implement. Man, I love eighteen games, man. Jerry, I love you, baby. That's the only time I like Dallas. That's the only time you did anything smart or anything good. All right, so it's time for me to add some sensible dialogue to this discussion, right? Because instinctively, yes, you like something. Eat, uh, take more, right? That's mm-hmm. that's kind of what we are, what we've become yep. as a society. We're gluttons. You know, you go to a buffet, man. You know what? I'm kind of full right now, but bet that that fish right there, or that chicken yep. right there, it looks super good. That steak, I'm about to eat some more, even though you know you shouldn't, right? Because you've been satisfied. You are completely satisfied. But we have a problem saying no. We are gluttons, and this is another example. Look, you and I both love the NBA. The NBA, I believe, is both of our favorite sports. In spite of us and our love for the league, right, complete devotion, the number one thing everybody says that the NBA needs to change is what? The season's too long. You got 82 games. So everybody knows, like, yo, cut the season 20 games, cut the season 30 games or so. There's a problem. Like, when you are fine, right, the NFL season is the only season in which it comes. And what's the old saying, right? Leave the fans wanting more. When the NFL season leaves, Everybody is almost like, man, I can't wait till September again. It comes and it goes. It's like a refresh, a refreshing rendezvous kind of. You know what I mean? Every other league has shown the more games you get, the worse your league becomes. The NFL is the only league that has this right and the only reason that this will ever change. And of course, it's going to change. Why? Because of the bottom line. They're going to be so much money and people like you and I are and I get it. Most people feel the way you do. They want more, right? But that's the way we are with everything. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And the NFL is going to give it to us. We're going to get a worse product. And over time, it's going to be two. And then before you know it, it's going to be four and six. And like you said, they're going to add an extra playoff team. And before you know it, 
The NFL is going to be hockey and, and basketball. Well, it's only two, but it's only two more games. I can understand. I can understand basketball. I can understand basketball. It's never too late. Look, two more games is perfect. Okay, we're not asking for four more and five and six more. And if they want to do that, I would still be on board. But NBA is different. NBA is different. Their intensity doesn't really start until either like Christmas time and like the NBA, man, they could walk through games. See, football, that's a whole nother sport. It's a whole nother animal. You cannot walk through football. It's simple as that. You're going nah, to... Nah, you're right about that, but that's yeah, another problem, t- right? The the game of football is so intense. It's so violent. Hey, that, hey, that look, I don't care about... Diminish. Hey, as a fan, as a fan, I don't get... I don't care at all about their bodies. I'm sorry. I'm not... I'm not from this new school. Uh, I, I care about concussions and stuff. No. If you sign up for this, I'm with you then. If you about to die on that field, then hey, that's what happens. I mean, look. It's plenty of people boxing. People do boxing. You might get hit, and next thing you know, I mean, it doesn't really, really, it really, really happens. But you can actually die in the ring, you know. But, hey, nobody tells you don't box. Hey, nobody tells a firefighter, hey, don't sign up to be a firefighter. You got to run into that fire. No, I mean, certain jobs. I'm not going to, you know, if that's what you want to do in your life, you know, you're a grown man. would make your own decisions. If you want to play football, then go play football. I'm okay with it. Entertain me, you know. Once again, y'all, I'm joined by my cousin Sadiq Abdul, promoter, sports analyst, and frequent visitor and guest on the Quarterly Report. Each month he comes on, and each month we throw a few questions up there. I give my takes, and he lets me and the world know whether I'm crazy or not. So it seems I'm pretty crazy thus far. I'm two for two. So we're going to see how we can end this by getting a bit of my sanity back. And you ended the last topic talking about uh, entertain you. And that's where we're going to end this uh, quarter and the show, really, on entertainment. When the NBA season is over, I have like this huge, I don't really watch much television outside of sports, right? NBA, boxing um, are the shows or the television that I watch the most. But when the NBA season is over, there's like this huge void. It's the summertime and there's, you know, I want to be entertained as well. And one of the shows that I've started to like over the past two years is Insecure. And it comes on in the summer, gives you 10 episodes. And the first two seasons I thoroughly enjoy. But I got to be real. I'm not going to say it's been trash this year, right? But it's been the recycle bin. Keep that joint close. I've been super disappointed with Insecure Season 3 this season. Am I crazy for thinking that it's kind of falling off a bit thus far? It's it's not going as far as like Season 1 and Season 2. It's not as strong as that. But I mean... What let's be real. What what really is anyway? You know what I mean? Like you know, shows of twenty four. Twenty four was a great show. So that 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 went on for eight seasons. But most sequels and and prequels and all these other stuff that come up, they, you know, they're, they're never as great as the first one anyway. But my thing is, I know for a fact that well, I could be wrong. Not fact, but I think it's falling off slightly because just because the people behind the scenes, as far as the actors, they just have so much else going on with their careers now. Like this is giving them an avenue to to expand, you know, expand themselves. So therefore, it's like uh, it's just I don't know. It's just not as exciting because of that, you know. Kind of like a show, kind of like the show. Like I said, uh, we were talking before offline. Like you know, I was talking about like the show Atlanta. You know, ATL. I feel like their second season wasn't as strong as the first, but that's because Donald and the other guys they have so much going on. You know, then now you're catching them in movies, uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's hard to put all your, you know, eggs into one basket if you have a whole lot of baskets. As simple as that. Yeah, there's something definitely to be said um, to that in regards to when you have one objective and you have one baby, right? And all of your energy and all of your focus is 
devoted to this one project and you want it to thrive. And now, you know, with success, you know, you have other opportunities and other endeavors. So, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, the, the, the people, Issa and everyone behind the show, they're talented enough, absolutely, to to continue the show and pursue other, um, you know, other outlets and other options. But I think more the issue this season is that they're focusing on characters who just, you know, just aren't that good. Like the Daniel character, he has moved in as the main male character now that Lawrence is out. And Daniel is just a sucker, man. It's, it's like he's not funny. There's nothing about him that is magnetic. So you spend so much time on him, the show is way down because his character is just kind of nah, boring corn, and lame. Yeah, he a cornball. Corn first off, he corny. First off, are they are they in L.A. right? I know L.A. weather is up and down, but the nigga wore a, a sweater to a club, man. Like, come on, get this get this dude out of here. Then he was scared. Then like, then another thing, he was he was timid. Exactly. This is your business right here. This is your livelihood. You know, you you, put, you trust yourself. Like, basically, if you have confidence in yourself. Then the, that artist that he was trying to talk to would have felt that confidence, and he would have been like, "Oh, it was slim about his stuff." You know what I mean? You coming, you coming all timid and and, and, and kind of like worried. So therefore, he's sitting there like, you know, what what you what you here for? Right, what you like want to talk about? My exactly, time. exactly. So, I mean, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not whole, but they need to. I mean, in a way, all of us kind of fell in love with Lawrence because he got basically he got dick. You know what I mean? She cheats on him and then throws him off the show. Like how you, how you get cheated on and then and then can't come back? Like come on, man. This is, hey, this is another reason right here why we need to bring 18 games, though. We in here talking about Insecure. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, so you know what? Maybe you have a point there. Once again, guys, this has been my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. He's a promoter, sports analyst, and a frequent guest on the Quarterly Report. And we may have something special coming up lying for y'all uh, around the NBA season. So make sure y'all keep your eyes open for that. We got some, some really dope stuff coming down the pipe. As always, Sadiq, thank you so much for rocking with me this week on the Quarterly Report, you know and is. can't wait to have you back on the show. Man, I appreciate the love. appreciate you always having me on. You know what it is, man. Fans for life. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the 70th episode of the Quarterly Report. Once again, I want to thank my cousin, Sadiq Abdul, for letting me know that I've been fairly crazy this week. Uh, we'll try to work on that next week. And also, I want to thank each and every one of you all for listening. 70 episodes man if you just started listening to the show i appreciate you if you've been rocking with me from day one you already know it's all love but for those of you who are new to the show make sure you go back and listen to all the episodes on itunes apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify Podknife, google play wherever you listen to podcasts listen to the quarterly report podcast tell your friends tell your family and if you don't mind please Leave me some five-star reviews and ratings. Let the world know. Let me know what you think about the show. Also, interact with yours truly. Get engaged. Tell me some ideas that you want to hear me discuss. Or if you vehemently disagree with something that I said this show or in those shows in the past, get in contact with me and get involved with the show. You can email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E report at gmail.com or tweet at the show quarterly show on twitter again q u a r t e r l e e show get involved let me know what you think of the show and of the topics once again thank you for listening to the first 70 episodes of the show we got 70 more on deck i love each and every one of you and i see you right back here next week on the quarterly report <laughs>